Welcome to another exciting message from Journey Church, meeting weekly in Northwest Calgary. At Journey Church, we're encountering God and embracing people. Here's the deal. The reality is, uh, you don't really know somebody till you know the music they like. Is this true? I, I think that this is true. And so this morning, we're going to begin this new series playing three songs that are some of my favorites. So now, this is like, so now I know that this is going to be, I'm putting myself out there because some of you don't even know who Bill Withers is. And I am sorry for you if you don't know who he is. But. Uh, this is one of my favorite songs right here because it's going to be a lovely day today. I like to play this song even when it's been raining for like 90,000 hours solid, except for all the BC people. It is lovely. Okay, next song, next song, okay. Some of you will be blessed by this song right now. No judgment of me. It's a long intro, I know. I tried to find one that's a shorter intro, but the Maranatha singers loved I have shared this one with you before because it is the only song I know how to play on the piano. If you ever get a rendition from me on the piano, it is going to be this song, some version of it. But I feel like uh, the Holy Spirit comes more in this song than other songs. Okay, now, now so that no one would really mock me, I'm going to play now my favorite song of all time. Now, if you hate rap, I'm sorry. My children, oh, can we put that? Yeah. Right, Th this may be my favorite song of all time. You don't want to see me dance. There's going to be no dancing. Okay. You know the words to this. We are friends. I see that hand. See, someone's up there. Julia, I see that hand. You're ready. No, you're just putting on a sweater. All right. This is Calgary. Okay. All right, we can can the songs. Okay, so here's the thing. Songs tell us about people. They tell us what resonates with people. They maybe will go home and make fun of my song choices today. Some of you will be praying for my salvation this afternoon. Um, but they do tell us a lot. Songs are important in every culture all over the world. For thousands of years, songs have actually defined cultures. And um, today I want to start a new series that is... Uh, about the oldest songbook in the world. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the book of Psalms. And more than any other songbook in the entire world, the book of Psalms has resonated with people's hearts and spirits. And there's something powerful and beautiful about that. Um, this morning, as we start off this series, I'm going to give you a little bit. I got the privilege of being the history teacher today. So uh, I do think it's important, though, that we understand the background of the text, uh, because otherwise many of us read the Bible like Russian roulette, and by that I mean this. Maybe when you were a teenager, some of you played this game. Maybe some of you still play it. I wonder what God wants to speak to me today. 
and you open up the Bible and then you point at something, don't admit it now, but I will admit it for you. See, that's not a good way to read your Bible, I'm just going to tell you, because you're going to come across a weird verse, and it's not going to be helpful to you. It's really important that as um, people of the Word, as people of Jesus, that we actually learn about the Word of God. So let me give you a little bit of an overview of the book of Psalms. Psalms was composed over 1,000 years, which makes it insane that it all fits together. Like, really think about this, like people in the 80s thought differently than people in 2019, right? My children remind me of this all the time, of the 70s. And, um, and over a thousand years, uh, people wrote the book of Psalms. It's not as though somebody sit, sat down and at the beginning wrote Psalms 1 to 150. Psalms was written over a thousand years. They, uh, scholars will tell us that 73 are ascribed to David, David, King David, the psalmist. But there's also songs from Solomon and Asaph, Moses, the sons of Korah, and um, the book of Psalms is traditionally uh, broke down into five different books. And the reason for this, there's a reason for this. In many Jewish uh, traditions, uh, it is said that the book of Psalms mirrors the first five books of the Bible. So the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so you have uh, book one that follows uh, Psalms 1 through 41, book two, which is Psalms 42 through 72, book 3, 73 through 89, book 4, 90 through 106, and Psalms 107 to 150 uh, wrap up the entire book of Psalms. Uh, and, and there's lots of different scholarship, and you can read all about it if you'd like to uh, give yourself a job today on this rainy afternoon. There's lots of reasons. Some people say, well, they're just broken that way uh, for um, readership and for the scroll issues. Um, tactical reasons. And then there's other people that will say, well, no, the Psalms actually are uh, categorically put into different areas. I, I want to land somewhere on this. <laughs> the Psalms, I think, tell us the full range of human emotions. And what's amazing is that we start off with a prescription. We're going to talk about that Psalm 1 today. But then the rest of the Psalms, right up to uh, about Psalm uh, 107, talk about the whole range of human things like life is good life is terrible life is the worst I'm gonna cry forever uh, I'm angry I am so angry right now I'm happy I'm happy praise God I'm happy but the end of the book of Psalms ascribes glory to God thanksgiving to God the last 40 chapters really focus on like God is great and I'm good and I think that there's something there for us to learn that no matter what we're going through, the end of the day, the end of the day, our job is to give glory and praise to God. So here, here's the, the two things that the book of Psalms tell us from chapter 1 to 150. It tells us who God is. And I, I think it's important uh, that, we, that we have to say today that um, 150 chapters, that God took 150 chapters to write poems to us. Now, for those of us that are artists who would consider yourself artistic in nature, you're excited about this. <laughs> for some of you for whom roses are red, violets are blue, is like the longest you go into poetry. Um, this is nerve-wracking for you. Uh, but I, I do think it tells us something about the creativity of our God. It tells us something about the artistry of our God. 
uh, because God could have just written it like this, Psalm 1. I'm going to tell you all the things about me, and I'm going to tell you all the 400 things that you must do to serve me, the end. And that would have been legitimate. But God, being the artist that he is, wrote poems from his heart to us. That tells us something about the very nature and character of our God and tells us something about the nature and character of what it means to be Christ followers. You know, statistically, um, the church has lost many of its artists. Uh, if you go back to the first century where uh, Christians, be, the church was birthed, there was all kinds of artists. And you, you don't have to, you just need to go on a little tour on Google of Italy to see all the artistry made by Christians. But over the last number of centuries, we've sort of pushed away artists and we've said to them well like like don't be too extravagant because <laughs> if you're too extravagant or too wild we, we would like you to wear shades of i don't know what's a grage grage is a color our house is painted that color that's how i know it grage uh, like just be grage not too exciting not too but psalms actually pushes us away from that god is extravagant in his love for us, he's artistic and creative. And listen, a um, number of years ago, I, we just felt like God would call us to call artists back to the church, to call people who are creative back to the things of God. And you heard Pastor Dave talking about the creative conference that's going to happen at the end of September. We're really excited about that. Listen, even if you're not an artist in this place, we want to call you to be part of that conference because I think all of us can learn about the creative imagination of God. We can learn about our own creative potential. Because if God is creative, then he's calling us to be creative too. And it might not look like, maybe you're not going to be an artist. I am certainly never going to be an artist nor a dancer, as you just witnessed. Uh, but we believe God has called us to be creative. So the Psalms tell us who God is. They tell us that God is a God for the outsider. They tell us that God is a God who, can, who cares about the orphan and the widow, and those in distress, they tell us that God is compassionate and full of mercy, slow to anger, abounding in love, that he's faithful, that he's good. The, the Psalms, if you want to know who, who God is, read the Psalms. But then they also tell us our relationship to God. They don't just tell us about God. They tell us what is, uh, accept, what is an acceptable relationship with God. And I love the Psalms because you see that David uh, has enough of a relationship with God that he can actually get angry with God. That, that's how you know you have a real relationship with somebody, right? Because like nobody, no, not most people at least, like when you don't know somebody very well, when you go to get a Starbucks or Tim Hortons, you don't go up to the counter and go, looks like you had a really bad morning, what's wrong with you? Like nobody says that, but you can say that at home. I know none of you do, only me. Um, but real relationships equal real emotions. I, I would venture to say this, that if you can't have real emotions with the people you live with, then, um, now I'm not saying you have to be overly emotional. Some of us are not built that way. But as far as our emotional outlet goes, if you don't have real emotions with people, you don't have a real relationship with them. If you've ever been in a, a dying friendship, you'll know that what happens is distance starts to grow between you and you no longer share emotions. You sort of just begin to have pleasantries. 
And that's really, that's really the sign that a relationship has, there's been a death of a relationship. When you can't say to somebody, this is how I feel, or I, I cry with somebody, or uh, be with somebody. Real emotions tell you that a relationship is real. And the Psalms really shows us this. David, the psalmist, the sons of Asaph, all, all the, the writers of Psalms show this really real and raw emotion. They teach us how to be in relationship with God. It, it reminds me of this, that God is not interested in a superficial, distant relationship with you. He wants a real, living, and breathing relationship. One where you say, I'm disappointed, or I'm upset, or all the things that come along with relationship. The Psalms are quoted in the New Testament more than any other book of the Bible. Uh, this is not only because um, Martin Luther said this, this way, that the Psalms were a little Bible, that the Psalms actually were a summary of the Old Testament. I love that. Maybe for you, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, you get into Leviticus, Deuteronomy, it becomes daunting. A great place to start reading the Bible is in Psalms because it gives you this this real summary of the entire Old Testament, but also because the Psalms point us to salvation more than any other Old Testament book. They point us to salvation in Jesus. And we're going to look at that over the next couple of weeks, uh, the Christological nature of the Psalms. And um, for a lot, at least for myself as a young person, when I began to really study the Psalms, I, I got strengthened in my faith. And some of you are looking in this season to be strengthened in your faith. Psalms is a great place to start that and uh, a great place to begin. Um, I, I want to begin, though, this morning. Now, listen, we're going to start at Psalm 1. I know some of you, when I say that, you're, so this series is going to go 150 weeks? And I can assure you it will not. Please come back. Um, <laughs> Oh, we're going to just look at a smattering. But I, I do always think it's important to look at how a book begins. Um, the, the, um, in, his, in his book, uh, The Message of the Psalms, Walter Bruggeman points out that there are a couple kinds of psalms. Uh, number one, psalms of orientation, psalms of disorientation. That's where the writer seems like, oh, what is going on? I don't know how to live my life. Ah! That's a psalm of disorientation. When you hear that guttural scream and it feels like it's a heavy metal song when you listen to it. By the way, just as, a, just as an aside here, um, I, I've been saying a little bit that they're poems. The Psalms actually aren't poems. They're songs. And songs and poems, there are some similarities. But there is a bit of a difference. Um, songs get into your, uh, have you ever listened to a song and you can't get it out of your head and you just sing it all day long? You can't, songs are like that. I would encourage you, listen, when you're reading the Psalms, just to put some music on in the background and read them out loud this way. Uh, it, it helps us to retain them, and that's why I think God put them in there like songs. But So there's songs of orientation, psalms of disorientation, and then psalms of new orientation, where we're ascribing newness and the faithfulness of God. And this is really helpful when you understand this, because we can see that Psalm 1 is a psalm of orientation. Um, biblical scholars will tell you this, that Psalms 1 and 2, Psalms 1 and chapter 2, act as the introduction to Psalms. So Psalm 1 tells us how an individual is to live, and Psalm 2 really talks about how a, a nation is to live and talks about the, the national uh, ascribing power to the king of kings, uh, to Jesus. 
and, and to the Lord. Um, you, you probably need to know this. Um, Bruggeman said this, Psalm 1 is probably a track for socialization. So Jewish people would use this as a track for socialization for their children, by which the adult community firmly conditions the young into a right morality. It's life and death, and the young better learn it while there is time. There is this idea that Psalm 1 writes our ship. Psalm 1 was the very first psalm I learned as a child, and it is the psalm that has really become my, my life psalm. And um, we're going to read it in the King James Version this morning, in the New King James Version, because that's the version I memorized it in. There's nothing more special about the King James, just in ca- it's just the way that I learned it. And um, I, I want to talk about it. I want us to ask ourselves some questions of the psalms. Psalms are different than, say, Ephesians or Romans, where you can really dissect it, but I think when we're talking about songs, songs instead of dissecting, I think they ask questions of us. They push us to ask questions of ourselves. And so we're going to read Psalm 1, then we're going to ask ourselves a few questions. Psalm 1 says this. Let's read it. Uh, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in this law he meditates both day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so. They are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall, stand in the ju- shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the, in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. I, I will say this, and we're going to talk about this in a second, but memorizing the word of God allows you to be able to meditate it on, on it all day. Um, moms and dads, can I just speak to you for a moment? Your job is to disciple your children. You'll never disciple them if the only bit of Bible they get is for 45 minutes on a Sunday morning. If the only time you're cracking open the Bible, I, I'm just going to say this emphatically to you in the kindest way possible. Your kids won't see that Jesus is Lord in your life if the only time you open up the Bible is on Sunday morning. So there's, there's a little bit of research saying that young adults are not staying in the church. And Christians in the chairs are like, well, it must be the Sunday school's problem. That youth pastor is not bringing the word. And No. Can I just say emphatically? Absolutely not. I, we, we know what the problem is. The problem is that is, and listen, I'm saying this right along with you. I'm not saying this condemning. I'm saying it truthfully and honestly in the best way that I can. That if we don't get into the word as parents, our kids will never grow up to know God. They'll never grow up to love the word. They'll never grow up to know the Holy Spirit. We must be people of the word. Okay, sorry for that soapbox there. Open your Bibles. Okay. Um, so, or your phones with your Bible app on it. Okay, so this Psalm 1 asks us a thing, a, a few questions, and I think the first question it asks us is, who are your people? I think this is so fascinating that at the beginning of the book of Psalms, it starts off with, blessed is the man. Okay, now the word blessed there is the word ashri. I'm butchering it in Hebrew, but that's how it's phonetically said. <laughs> and it means happy. It means happy. Now, most biblical scholars will tell you that the way that North Americans think about happy, like I'm at McDonald's, I'm happy, I'm at Burger King, I'm happy, it's not exactly. It's more like uh, the word contented. It's connected to the word shalom. 
So you want to have, so this, this scripture is telling us contented is the person. Happy is the person who walks not, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. So that's, so, so this is what it was asking me. Who am I getting my, who am I getting my counsel from? Who, who is the person I'm going to in the middle of the night? Hey, I need some help with this. For some of us, our greatest counsel is Dr. Phil or Google. I'm not, I, I'm sure Dr. Phil's a nice person. But for some of us, that is our greatest counsel. And it is interesting that the scripture goes on to say, nor stands in the path of the sitters, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. That little phrase there, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, is a very interesting phrase. Archaeologists have found this, that at the entrance of the gate where people would come into towns in the near ancient Middle East, there would always be a seat. And you know who would sit there? Nothing has changed. Nothing's The cool person. Cool people would sit around this chair, and people would sit there, and they would gab. And they would sit outside the, the city, and they would talk. And there was, uh, historically, there's a bit of a sense of, like, cynicism to this talking. They would get out there, and they would, I don't know, talk politics. And, I mean, it's no different than today, right? Our seat now has become social media where people get on the seat and they are cynical and they're angry and they're better than anyone else because you could be a better premier, I forgot. Because I could be a better president of the United States, I forgot. I'm not saying we can't say anything, that we can't voice our opinions. Don't hear me saying that, but I am saying this, that Psalm 1 enters we enter the songs of God with God saying this, who are your people? This is why it's not good enough just to go to like internet church because you don't have people on internet church. You got avatars. You, you, if, if, you're, if your best people are only the people online, you're, you're going to end up in trouble because you're going to be sitting in the seat of the scorners. And it's going to cause you to do things and say things that you would never say to someone looking at them eyeball to eyeball. This is why community matters. It's not just so we can grow a church. It's because it's the word of the Lord to us that we get people around us who care about us. And when you skin your knee, they know. And when your parent dies, they know. And, and when your children are in a hard spot, they know. Who are your people? This psalm asks us right at first, right, right out of the gate, who are your people? In a couple months, we're going to start small groups again. We're all going to go camping for eight weeks. I understand. I will not be going camping. You will be going camping. You will be going camping. I understand that. But I, I, I want to ask you, perhaps over this summer, you could say, God, could you bring me people? Now, people don't just come to us. Now, I say this to every young adult who's single, and you've all heard me say this, treat it like a job. <laughs> Girl, if you want to get married. Young man, if you want to get married. You cannot just say, I'm going to sit down here in my parents. If you don't have a job, you don't sit in your parents' basement and say, well, if the Lord would like me to have a job. Because you know your parents are not going to do this well. 
If the Lord would like me to have a job, he will bring a job my way into my parents' basement apartment where I pay no rent and my mom still folds my underwear. He will bring me a job. Now, yes. Okay, yeah. now some of you with people, well, you read this and you say, well, it's not my fault. There's nobody in this church that is nice. Nobody wants to be my friend. I have tried. I, I have tried. I came five minutes early to church. I even went and picked up my kids from kids' church, and nobody talked to me. They are mean here. Even that baby thinks everyone's mean. I like that baby. So cute. Yeah, it is. She's shouting me down. It's great. Yeah. Um, the thing is, a lot of us, though, that's how we get our people. We try to say, I have been to this church every week for six years. I came every week and nobody, did you talk to anybody? Well, no. Did, did you get involved? No. I did worship with a pretty tear coming down my eye, though, once. I did send a letter to the pastor. I didn't like what she said that week. Okay, so thing is, if we want to have people, we gotta, we, we gotta get out there. We, we gotta say, God, would you send me people? And then we gotta move in the direction of people. We gotta say, God, if you say community is important, then I am gonna move myself in the direction of community. I, I, if, I, if, listen, I, I'm believing this is gonna be the most inclusive most embracing kind of church but that happens as every single one of us goes you know what i'm gonna look for someone new today i'm gonna invite them to my gourmet delight of mcdonald's cheeseburgers after that see none of you have mcdonald's cheese just me i'm having mcdonald's cheese we're having mcdonald's today thank you praise god mm -hmm. okay so that's the first question it asks us who are your people right off the top Psalmist is telling us right away, this is important. The second question it asks you is, what brings you joy? Okay, so it tells us, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on this law he meditates both day and night. The word meditate there is, a, is, a, is the word haggadah. And the word Haggadah is like, um, is actually uh, meditate. We don't really have a word in English that helps us there. But it means to mutter softly. To mutter softly. In ancient Jewish culture, they, they actually weren't allowed to read the Bible silently. It was seen as blasphemy. So what they had to do is read the Bible out loud. And I think there's a reason for that. I mean, I, we're not going to go in, into, I'm not telling you that reading your Bible silently while you're in your work at cubicle, your cubicle at work is... But, but, but there's something powerful about the idea of speaking the words of God out loud. I was thinking about Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, where it says there's life and death and the power of the tongue. When you begin to speak the words of God over yourself, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the seat. There's something that happens on the inside of us. We begin to delight in the word of God. So my, my kids and I, we were doing this uh, major memorization track over the last um, four or five months. And I've been getting up every morning with those scriptures just on my mind. And, and you know, all of a sudden, they're very easy to come to my heart and to my spirit. I, I 
can say them. I can speak them. You don't have that, though. It's hard. Because how do you meditate on God? Are you going to bring a big, large print Bible with you everywhere you go? Because this is not about us looking more spiritual. It's about feeding our spirits. The, the way that we delight, because I, I always found this an interesting verse, that his delight is in the law of the Lord. So the contented person, the happy person, delight is in the law of the Lord. But what happens if you, like, that's not really true for you? These are the questions we must ask ourselves. Like, what happens if Bible reading is really hard? And it doesn't feel very fun. And if you're honest, it kind of feels boring. And you mean to. It's not like you, it's not like you say, I don't like, but you, you mean to. Have you ever had something you mean to do? And then just like you don't do it? Yeah, I think we've all been there, right? And I, I was asking the Lord, like, what about people for whom the Bible is not a delight? What do we do about that? How do we confront that? How do we talk to that? And I, this is, I, listen, I was asking the Lord about this all week. It's a question I often ask the Lord. What do we do with people that aren't spiritually hungry that just, and I was, I thought about this. So I have, um, for most of my adult life, I had a real dislike of olives. Okay, so I know this, I had the worst, and I married an Italian. Like, this is awful. Every time I'd go over to my in-laws, they'd be like, would you like the olives? I don't drink, I don't drink the olives. I do, I do like olive oil, but I didn't like olives at all. Like, so bad that I had, like, a gag reflex when I'd eat olives. Woo, I didn't like those things at all. No kinds. Not the stuffed kind. Not the, like, my mother-in-law always, try this one. It's, it's a little bit less. Try this one. I can't do her accent very well. Um, and I hated them. Now, Dave and I have almost been married 20 years. Yep, 20 years. Next, next year, it's going to be 20 years. So 19, we're at 19. We're going to make it to 20. We are, I don't know why I said that. Of course, we're going to make it to 20. Uh, anyways, coming back to my love for the olive. But, you know, I, um, I decided that I had to live up to my name as the daughter-in-law who liked to eat. And I was going to find a way to like olives. I didn't know how. I was, so here's what I did. Every time olives were served, I ate them. Now, I hated them. <laughs> and I would think, this is the worst food ever. How can anybody like it? But a weird thing happened last Christmas. My friend came over and she said, you have to try this. And I just made a decision that whoever gave me olives, I was going to eat them. Some of you will be sending me um, descriptions for help. But I just, I don't know, it was like a way that I could show my mother-in-law that I loved her culture and I loved her and I honored her and, and it was funny too. They thought it was really funny because I would try them and then I had to be like to the bathroom like I do not like this. But weird thing happened last Christmas. My friend came over and she said, oh, she's talking to Dave because she knows I hate olives. I got the best olives from this place and she came and she brought them and I think she heated them up in the microwave and I tried them. And I loved them. I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden now I love olives. I buy big jars of olives from Costco. 
I can eat every kind of olive. I can have it in my salad. I can have it on my pizza. All of a sudden, I went from hating olives to loving olives. Like, I am the person now in the olive bar. You know when you go to some of those fancy grocery stores? And I'm the person, I think they won't mind if you just have a little sample of an olive. I don't know even if that's true. But anyways, I'm outing myself for stealing olives. I don't have many, just one. Anyways, all of a sudden, I love olives. And the Lord brought my attention to the psalm that says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, some of us, when we read, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. The, The law also, it's really the word Torah. Their Jewish people loved the Torah. They didn't see it as like a hundred um, um, laws. They, they saw it as God's love language to them. Taste and see. And, and the Lord just, just spoke this to me. Sometimes, before we learn to love something, we just got to keep tasting it. So can I just encourage you, maybe you're here and the Bible hasn't gripped you like it's gripped me or like it's gripped your spouse or like it's gripped one of your ch- But keep tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. And I'm going to tell you the promise of God is that you will taste. And someday you're going to see that God is good. And the scripture is going to get a hold of your heart. And you're not going to be able to put it down. Do you know the favorite part of my week is when I get to get into the scripture and learn things. I, like poor Dave all week long. Dave, did you know this? I, I, like, the scripture enthralls me. If I could spend all day every day reading the scripture, I would. Because somehow, and this is not because I'm more spiritual. This is because I've just continued to taste and see that the Lord is good. Haga, a low muttering sound. Meditate on God's word all day. The third question, and finally, is this. Am I planted? So that, so that, it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Who are your people? But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on this law he will meditate both day and night. What do you delight in? What brings you joy? And then it says, and it's a conjunction here. It's if you do these two things, it says, then you'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Then you're going to be like a tree. Now, for a long time, I, I used to say things like this to people. Just stop being flaky and get planted. Stop it. Stop going from this church to that church and stop using the Holy Spirit as an excuse to tell you, I just go where the wind blows me. No, get planted. Psalm 93 says that whoever's planted will be flourishing in the house of God. Get planted. Get planted. Get planted. Visit places when you're on vacation. It's interesting this week, I I felt like the Lord kind of corrected me a little bit when I read this scripture. You can't force yourself to be planted. If you're a tree, you can't plant yourself, okay? There's no, never been a tree in the history of the world that got up, picked itself up from a garden center, and planted itself. Trees become planted by someone. Now, in an arid, in an arid culture, this metaphor would have been powerful for people because they lived in a desert. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season. God's desire for you is to plant you by a river of water 
so that you can bring forth fruit in its season. And then it says it's a deciduous tree whose leaves shall not wither. No matter what the circumstance, no matter what kind of wind and sand is blowing, your leaf is not to wither. But the way we get planted, it's kind of good because like the pressure's off us. The way we get planted is by getting the right people and becoming delighted in his word. And when we do that, it's simple. He plants us so that we bring forth fruit in season. For some of us, we've been trying, I'm going to get planted. I'm going to get root. Find your people. Get and, and then the Lord's going to plant you. Get delighted in the word of God. And God's going to plant you. And you're going to bring forth fruit. It's going to be natural. You don't have to work yourself up to it. This is why we don't, like, there's not very high spiritual people. And, like, you know, mediocre people, kind of like, just squeaking that. And then people that are just going to squeak in. No, it's God that brings forth the fruit in our life. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. It's called one fruit of the Spirit because it's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit because God brings it forth. And God brings it forth when we're planted by the rivers of water. Water always is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit, always in every circumstance. And we get rooted in the things of God and the things of the Holy Spirit. And we find our people and we delight ourselves in God's word. Now let me just say this. I, I, I believe this scripture gives us so much hope. Some of you are here right now and you're worried like, oh man, I wish I had made my kids memorize this when they were like 10. Oh, we're a wreck now. What is going on? And we're, I want to just bring your attention to the last two verses of this chapter. It says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The word know there is to intimate. It's not just like I know you. It's an intimate word. It means he doesn't just like know. He knows everything about you. He knows you in like the most uh, intimate way. He knows you're coming, you're going, you're breathing. He knows everything. And then it says, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And I've never seen this before. I've known the scripture all my life. Do you notice that it doesn't say, but the ungodly will perish? Turn or burn. It, does, it doesn't say that. It says, but the way of the ungodly will perish. This gives me so much hope. Because it says, God knows, knows the righteous. But the way of the ungodly. Listen, God is bringing everything under his lordship and under his leadership. He is. Nobody is too far away from the goodness of God. Your loved one isn't too far away. And you, you, I, I listen, I'm praying, ever since I saw this this week, I've been praying this over people. God, may the way of the ungodly perish so that they can become someone that's known by you. May the way that they're walking on right now, may it just shrivel up and die so that they have no choice but to walk a godly walk. I, I like th this, this is how I, the scripture is, right? It sets us free from being discouraged. I'm feeling like there's no hope. There's hope for your loved one. Mom and dad, there's hope for your child. It's far from God. We're going to pray in Jesus' name that the way of the ungodly would perish. Not, not that they would perish, but that the path they're on would perish. Changes everything. Changes everything. I, I just know this. 
that when we approach the scripture like this, that God speaks to us, that he breathes life into our being, that he breathes life into our way. And I'm praying for you this morning that Psalm 1 would be an orientating psalm for you and your family. That you would say as a family, as people, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. All of our people are going to serve the Lord together. And that God, we're going to take great delight in you. And God, we might not have that delight right now, but like that woman that came to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. God, I might not have delight right now, but like those olives, I'm just going to keep tasting and seeing that you are good. I'm going to taste and I'm going to see that you are good. All across the room today, could I just ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes? I believe that the Holy Spirit is here today. I, I just believe that there are people here today who are going to get a hunger for the Word of God. God's going to bring a newfound delight for his word. A newfound love for his word. Some of you are here, and just as we spoke that, the, the bit about delight, you thought, well, that's not me. I just believe that God's going to just spark a new uh, interest, a new love for the things of him. God, for all my friends that are in this place today, I pray that you would give us newfound love for you, newfound delight in the law of the Lord. I pray that as we open up our Bibles, God, that it would be life to us. Oh. Jesus, I pray for the person that's feeling alone here right now. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would bring them people, people who would encourage them in the things of God, people who would call them to new heights in their spiritual walk. I pray that you would help us to be that for people. And then, God, I thank you that you are a God who plants us. I pray for plantedness and rootedness and stability. I pray that this house would be a place of stability, that we would be a plate people planted by the rivers of water that would bring forth fruit in its season, God, that our leaves wouldn't wither. God, I thank you for every person that's here. I pray that you breathe new life and hope and joy. Maybe you're here this morning and um, you would just know that you've never made a decision to follow this God. I want to just tell you that today is your day. That today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week when you have it all figured out, but today. I believe that God wants to embrace you. This morning, I, I want to pray a prayer. And I, I would just encourage you, maybe, maybe you've never prayed this prayer. Now, this prayer is not magical. We don't believe in that, but it is a declaration with our mouths saying, God, I want to serve you. I want to follow you. And when we pray that prayer, God says that when we come close to him, that he comes close to us. That's the word of the Lord to us. All across the room, just for the sake of the person on your left and your right, there may be some of you that have never prayed this prayer before. Maybe some of you that prayed it a long time ago, but you're far from God. And if you're honest, you'd say, I don't really feel much like a tree planted by rivers of water. I feel like I'm a dead bush somewhere in the desert. I believe this morning God wants to pick you up and plant you by rivers of water so that you can continue to bring forth fruit. Let me just pray this prayer. Would you just repeat it after me? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. I pray that you forgive me. Help me to follow you all the days of my life.
love you. Plant me by the river's water so that I can bring forth fruit. So ultimately, I can look like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you're here and you prayed that prayer for the first time. I want to invite you just to meet us at the Connection Corner. We have a Bible we want to give you to help you grow in your love for Jesus. And we just believe that this is the single greatest decision you can make in your life. Following God doesn't solve all of our problems, but it certainly means that we don't have to solve our problems on our own anymore. He walks with us and talks with us. We're thankful that you've been here this morning. We just pray, I just pray a prayer of blessing on you. And I pray that many of you are going to leave here today and God's word is going to just come alive in your heart. I'm excited for what God's going to do over this next season. We don't believe that that studying the Psalms is just like it's like a vacation series. I, I believe that God's going to stir many of us to become people who hear his word and do it. Be blessed this week as you go. I'm just going to end in a song. Would you just stand to your feet with me this morning? Thanks for listening to us today. For more information about who we are, head over to myjourney.church or look for us on your favorite social media outlet. 